Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on ladies being left off invitations, trouble with visitors, thank you notes as gifts, and a proper thank you for a generous favor. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on travel etiquette. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about interviews via Skype. All that's coming up in this brand new 2019 year. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Setting. Happy 2019! Happy 2019! I'm glad it's here. (laughs) It's a big year. (laughs) I know. It could be. What are you looking forward to? Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know. Changing my life. That'll be a good one. Um, Change is good. Change is good. Um, I think that I'm I'm really looking forward to actually all the work that we have to do. Yes. That sounds ridiculous. Oh, don't act like you sit around wanting to work. (laughs) One of my New Year's resolutions had to do with work. uh, But no, you're right. Yeah, no. One of the things you all should know is that Dan and I have actually moved out of our co-shared office space. And we now... Each occupy separate offices in our town. So Dan has an office in Waterbury um, as well as his home office. And I have an office in Burlington as well as my home office. And so the kind of the days of an actual institute location, we still have my office kind of gets the address of the location, but those are kind of over for us right now. And we've both been really excited about that and moving into quasi working from home, sort of more flexible schedules, but still connecting and we had our first uh FaceTime 3 hour conversation hour. it was actually for via Zoom not FaceTime but um it was yeah it was three it was a three and a half hour call and we usually do that on the second of the year we usually sit down and and one of the very big things that we usually end up saying to each other is that we really believe in the Emily Post Institute as a brand and and we believe in our messaging and we like the job we do. So we're here. We just want to let you know we are here to stay and we are in this and continuing through. We love this show and we love doing it. And that's one of the aspects of work I'm really excited about this year. Dan and I are about to start building the 20th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. I know you just heard us launch the 19th edition last year. Guess what? It is now time to start working on it for its 2022 launch. As we reflect on and plan for stewarding Emily Post forward into the future, it is the looming project of the most sort of impact, significance, import in uh, front of us. is just so not the <laughs> word I would use. It's so exciting. We it are is. We are really hoping that we are going to just give our, our giant tome of a, <laughs> of a book a real makeover. And so it's actually like, it is, Dan's right, it's going to be an insane amount of work, but it's going to be amazing. For those of you that are inclined towards the mathematical thinking, this is the 20th edition. Yeah. And it's going to be published in 2022. That's the 100-year anniversary of the book from the original publishing of Emily Post's first edition of Etiquette in 1922. And that sort of round number 
event, that that, <laughs> that 20th edition, 100 years, is really inspiring us to think about what this tradition means yep. and to look back, to look at that original edition. Lizzie Bost and I are both Reading working it. our way through <laughs> it because we want what we take into the future to really reflect where we've been and where the tradition that we represent comes from. But, but we, we know. also know <laughs> yeah. that it's been a hundred years. Y- you can't just write the same things in that book in the same tone that they were written in. I mean, we have a whole language now that we talk about when it comes to people being seen and being aware of the people around us and understanding the differences and the diversities that we all um, have and exchange with one another and Again, one of the most beautiful things that that Dan and I, it recharges us each year, is the thought that when you when you strip etiquette down the way that we have with consideration, respect, and honesty, you get at something that works for everyone. And it doesn't matter what your neighborhood looks like. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation or your gender identity. It matters that you're another human being on this planet and you deserve to interact well with other human beings. And that's both coming at you and it's going out from you. And we have a lot of control over the coming out from us and we don't have very much over the what comes back to us. So it means we have to work on it and we we have to think about it and make it an active part of our lives. And I got to say, when I think about charging up for this book, because it's a big thing to to rewrite this book and, and to work on it and to select and and really choose what we're going to say. And no matter what we do, someone will always say we forgot something and we shouldn't have said this instead and all of that. But it is that mentality that gives us purpose in this, that keeps us going forward, and that makes us so happy that this is our jobs. This is what we get to do. We get to encourage the idea that it's it's okay to recognize and appreciate the people around us, no matter how different from us they may be. I couldn't say it much better, cuz. I think some about the fact that we're the fifth generation of this family to do this. Mm-hmm. In some ways, we're really fortunate that we've gotten to watch and experience how previous generations have adapted and evolved the tradition oh, yeah. and both made it their own and made it relevant mm-hmm. to the times that they operated in. And I consider us very fortunate to have that perspective to apply to this current project that's in front of us. And it makes me think about what I want to hand off to the sixth generation of this family. And I want to set them up in the same way. So should they want to engage it? Should they want to engage it? No pressure on anyone out there. But I want to put a little bit of pressure on our audience. Yes, please. So I want to ask our audience for a little bit of help. In so many ways, this show serves as a an eyes and ears for the Emily Post Institute. It's one of the most active conversations that Lizzie Post and I get to participate in. We get to hear what you're dealing with regularly, your thoughts and feedback about the answers that we provide and the conversation that we have here. And that's it's hard to describe how important and useful that is for both Lizzie and myself. And I would love to take advantage of that conversation as we're doing this work on the 20th edition and invite everyone out there listening to think about what the Emily Post tradition means to you. I'd love to hear and I know Lizzie would love to hear your reflections on how that tradition is meaningful and relevant and also your thoughts, what you would like to see from us moving forward. What do you seek from an etiquette book? We get your questions each week and we're going to dive into them right now. But please, please keep participating. Keep reaching out to us. We want you to feel reflected in the 20th edition. 
Shall we get to some questions? It's time. Let's do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just please use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know we have your permission to put your question on the show. Our first question is titled, No Girls Allowed. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. First, thank you for a truly awesome podcast. In addition to learning a lot, I feel better throughout my workday when I take the time to center myself in consideration, respect, and honesty in advance. Here's my question. I have a not very close friend I'll call Anna who regularly makes plans, usually via email, for our large group of mutual friends who live in the same neighborhood. She's proactive and extroverted, so our group plans end up being instigated by Anna pretty often. Until lately. Anna is great in person. When we meet at group events, we have long chats. She'll make comments suggesting we do something else together soon, etc. However, despite her positive engagement in person, I'm always left off the email list for her group plans while my boyfriend is included. At first, I thought she probably meant us to understand her invitations to include both of us, and I tried to take this well. Here's the twist. When a few of my single female friends who are long-standing members of the same friend group openly asked me if Anna disliked them, we made a strange discovery. All of the women in our group are left off the list. 
When Anna invites a large group of friends to participate in an activity, be it biking or happy hour, she only invites the men of the group, including men who have wives or partners with whom she is equally well acquainted. Single women are not invited, and there is no note or acknowledgement in any of the invitations to indicate that female partners of the men she invites are welcome. Not even a pass this along, just a very specific list of emails specifically belonging to men. I'm so confused. Every time my boyfriend mentions a plan initiated by Anna, I feel knots in my stomach. I've never had any conflict with or dislike for Anna, as she is perfectly kind in person, but I feel unwelcome and a little weirded out. And really, I'm not invited. Or am I? Should I say something? Should I confront her with the fact that I've noticed the trend in her guest lists and give her a chance to explain? I would so appreciate any advice you have for this very strange situation. Gratefully yours, no girls allowed. Yowza! It's, I've got like a million topics that this hits on, like running through my head. I mean, there's couples as independents versus couples as socially, as, as couples as couples socially, mm-hmm. right? There's um, gender comes into play here. We've got issues time. Of, of all kinds of people have different perspectives on whether um, uh, you can be friends with members of the sex you are attracted to or not. And I want to put it that way because we have no idea what Anna's orientation is. So we don't know if this is a, th- a threat or if this is just she feels like one of the guys. So she emails the guys and that's just the way this goes. I'm often a girl like that who hangs out with a lot of guys. And I make a lot of efforts to reach out to girlfriends and wives to make plans when we're doing group plans. And I'm surprised at how much of the time that if I am friends with the guy more than I'm friends with the girl of that couple, the guy and I will do the coordinating, even though it's for everyone to get together. But I I don't do what Anna does, which is leave the partner in the relationship off the list. Um, It's what, what, oh, I had so many things I was thinking of. I'm like, what was, what else was on my timing? Um, Is, did this recently change? I thought in the second reading of this, I thought that it had changed over time that originally maybe Anna was emailing, but it doesn't sound like that. So I am curious if this is, you know, how long has this been going on for? And is it just Anna's group dynamic now? And now, you know, you're asking something that you've participated in for quite a while, but this new discovery makes it feel really different and much more of an issue, you know, because when it's just you, you can write it off as I'm probably just taking it personally. Maybe she doesn't have my email right or something like that. Right. But no, (laughs) all the women in the group don't get invited and they all live in the same neighborhood, too. So it's like these are people that are seeing each other regularly. So my answer is, Dan, what would you do? I, so as you were reflecting and asking questions about this question, I was thinking to myself, I had a couple questions I wanted to ask you. Oh, correct. Take it to me. All right. What is One it? is, would you feel different about this if you knew that Anna was cis and hetero and single? If, it, I, yeah. if there was the, the, the appearance that she was looking to engage men and only men and maybe that she was looking for a partner or if it felt. I like that was part of the dynamic. Yeah, as 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 a woman who likes men, and and I would be of two minds. One, because I personally have so many relationships with gentlemen in my life, like friendships with gentlemen in my life, that I would not want to feel threatened and think it was wrong for Anna to be doing that. The place where I start to feel it's wrong is that this is clearly a group of mixed gender. It's it's not. 
a flag football team where Anna is the only woman and all the guys are on the football team and that's how everybody knows each other. This is a group where it would be very easy for Anna to reach out to these single women and invite them to be included. And I think that the the question that Dan is so rightly getting at is, so do we think Anna's a threat to relationships or not? Because that's where you're finding, if you don't think it's a threat, then Anna's just organizing things. And you can socially say, you know, hey, I'd love to be included just because I'm actually the point person for this kind of stuff. And that's the language I would use when approaching Anna is I would say, hey, Anna, I wanted to make sure you had my correct email and stuff. I noticed you always reach out to Jim and I'm actually the better person to coordinate with out of the two of us. That's one way to do it. Another way is to just say, "Okay, she's inviting people this way. It's a little strange. The bigger concern for me is that she's leaving out single people. And that she and as a single person, I hate being left out of group stuff. The holiday season is actually quite tough because of that. You often don't I don't get invited to as many Christmas parties as people who are in couples. And that's where I take issue with it less than whether she is a single woman who is also attracted to men. Thank you for indulging my question. Okay. And you answered it and in answering it, you addressed what I start to think are the the etiquette answers Mm -hmm. to this question. You talk to her. I think you do talk to her. And what you say is going to vary depending on what outcomes you're looking for and how well you know Anna. And it's true too. I also like the way you, in answering that question, said, let's assume the best. Let's not assume that there is some bad intent here, that this person is behaving badly intentionally as a threat is a danger to relationships. Can I get in on that thought for half a second? I mean, is she really sitting around going, okay, I'm going to send 20 emails out to 20 guys, or, you know, I'm going to include 20 guys on a group email. Let's see who I can get. Probably not. And I don't think our listener even feels that way about it because she's met Anna in person, doesn't feel that kind of a, like, what's going on here, but. And in that spirit of acknowledging that, that sort of best intention, recognition, or credit. Pooja mentioned something like this very similar to recently. me recently. Really? Where she was talking about, she's participating in all these new parent groups where totally. she goes to open gym or a library children's reading group and she's meeting a lot of other parents. And she just reflected on and noticed the other day that she thinks it's often easier for men and women to meet each other, but that she finds the friendships that sustain over time between women seem to be and the longer lasting men to men and women to women yeah. it, it was sort of just interesting independent of this question little comment that i heard from my wife recently that made me think about this and say you know sometimes it's just i don't know what it is but there's a dynamic at play that maybe makes it easier when you're initiating social interactions just something from no, out of I left know. field i have such a i have just such a different person having just so many dude friends who it's never been romantic with you know I, i'm not that yeah. those Initial interactions can't extend into friendships. I liked the idea of talking to Anna no matter what because there's something going on here. Absolutely. And I like the sample language that you gave. My advice would be to make it personal, not general, Mm -hmm. not to comment on the whole situation, but just to say something like, hey, Anna, I'd love it if you could include me on those emails. And then for whatever reason – John doesn't always let me know or I love to have that where I can add it to my account. Whatever it is, I think there's a lot of ways. Just helps me coordinate and feel included. That's another thing is you can also just say it just helps me feel included. So you ask and you you don't make it a comment on her behavior. You make it about that being included. If the friendship can take it, if, if the friendship is a good enough friendship, you could talk about some of those other questions about wanting single people 
to feel included also. That crosses into one tricky aspect of etiquette territory, and that is that it is up to the inviter, the host, the person organizing, to choose the guests. And I, I really don't want it to sound like I'm saying it's okay that Anna is is clearly leaving a lot of people off, but it also is her discretion to whom she issues those invitations. And so if you bring up those other uh, single gals who haven't been invited to these events, I think you want to be real careful about that. And you you don't tell someone you have to always invite everyone, including all the single friends. You just don't. But you could suggest, oh, where's so-and-so? And that that's one way to broach it. But you also, you don't really ask a host why someone wasn't invited. or So this is where we're in etiquette, very delicate territory. It's why it's a great question. Yeah. What do you think about having a conversation that involves letting Anna know that this is something you've heard from other people? You're not saying, I think, I think you go. should invite these people. Yes. But I was talking to so-and-so and they noticed that these people are never included. And yes, I didn't I, know if you were aware of that. I wanted you to know about that conversation. I think that would help. I do. I do think it would help to say something along those lines or to, to broach the subject and say, I just noticed that, you know, out of the whole group, this seems to happen consistently. Is there something going on or is it just as, you know, I, it, even I'm telling you, like, I'm not even getting great sample language for it because it feels awkward to ask someone why they didn't invite these people. As I hear you talk about it, yeah. it feels more and more like one of those situations where someone's friends might know them better than they know themselves. <laughs> yes. This might be a total blind spot. She has no idea that she's doing it or that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe contexting the discussion with an appreciation for the role she plays as a connector, as a as a, a driving force in a social community, mm-hmm. that you might be able to just in a very gentle way bring her awareness to the fact that this is the way she operates And that might be all it takes. It might really be as simple as, Anna, I think you do such a great job in this neighborhood keeping everybody together. There's something I noticed that I wanted to mention. It seems like everyone on that email list is men. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, I didn't want to think it was an oversight. Exactly. And then I just noticed it's always the guys and and the single girls aren't often included. And some of them have started to worry that you don't like them. Because that's the other thing is you do have an actual – you have been asked by these other women – because I guess you're more fr- maybe more friendly with Anna or maybe the, maybe at the group events that they do end up at that they see you guys chatting or something and they say, does she dislike us? And I think you that it does give you a point of access for it. I just wanted you to know that people are perceiving it this way. And if it is that way, that's one thing. And then just keep doing what you're doing. And the message is really clear. But if it's not that way, it'd be really easy to just include them on the email. It could even be the personal ask. The Could you include me? On that email. Yes. And all of a sudden, she's tinkering with her list a little bit. She's got in mind that everyone on the list is men and that people have noticed this. Might be all it takes. And she might really appreciate it. It might be just a a hint of a broccoli on the tooth moment. But it doesn't even need to feel that way, I don't think. No girls allowed? Well, we are very much so hoping this isn't the case. Good luck and please let us know how this turns out. Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought I wouldn't want to go to a party. They probably thought I wouldn't know how to act. Hey, now, your name's Cindy, not Cinderella. You'll get an invitation to the party. There's just been some mix-up. Wait and see. (laughs) 
Our next question is titled Visitor Troubles, but not maybe troubling visitors. Hi. So I'm 18, and at the beginning of 2018, my parents and I moved back to the place where I was born and near my aunt and uncle. They're absolutely lovely, minus one dilemma. They won't text or ring prior to visiting and will barge in with zero notice. This is very frustrating as I am doing school online and it disturbs the flow of my study. They've also started coming more often later in the evening and more frequently, which is making me feel even worse. I've brought this up to my mother multiple times in many ways, only to be met with comments about how I am being selfish and that I need to get over it. However, it's getting to the point where I spend my day feeling anxious that they are going to arrive unexpectedly and I'm going to be disturbed. Do I just need to build a bridge and get over myself? Or do I need to do something? And how can I do that without receiving the wrath of a thousand sons? Signed, potentially neurotic. P.S. I do not have the means to move out on my own. Okay, so that option is (laughs) eliminated. (laughs) Good to know. Potentially neurotic. I don't think that you sound neurotic. (laughs) No. It is definitely a little strange when people are showing up unannounced all the time. Used to be more common, is less common now. There's definitely a courtesy to letting people know that you're going to visit, that you're planning to arrive. And having said that, I also recognize that families have their own expectations and neighbors have their own expectations and things develop over time where people feel more comfortable popping over or knocking on a door to ask for a cup of sugar. Mm -hmm. To get old fashioned on you for a second. Right. No, but you're right. There are there are things like sometimes mom has a rule. Mom rules the roost and that's it. And what mom says goes, you know, even if it's not convenient for you. Sharing a space with parents and with family definitely adds to the complication just a little bit. Yep. But I think you're in pretty good etiquette territory here <laughs> to ask for a little bit of a consideration here. And I think that you can do that in the same way that you've presented your question to us, that you talk about how your studies are important to you and how it takes a certain amount of focus and attention. And I certainly understand how online coursework requires some real discipline. It does. Because you don't have that support and that structure of the classroom environment. You don't have the pressure of 20 other people who are going to notice if you're not there. Exactly. It really puts a lot on you as a student and as a learner. And so I admire your your dedication to that task and also appreciate the challenges that it presents. And I think that you can talk about those things with your family and ask for an accommodation. Lizzie Post had a really, I thought, excellent structure for thinking about this, a way to both acknowledge the family and also um, include yourself in that equation so that you get that that space that you need and that time that you need to be a good student. This is an issue of space and time. That's like exactly it. It is an issue of space and time. It's it's not that you don't love your aunt and uncle. It's not that you don't want your mom to feel connected to them after living away from them for 18 years. It's and and mom might be very grateful to them for, you know, absorbing and being people she can lean on and be close to during a move back home. Often we forget just how emotional things can be for our parents. But you've been a year now and it's frustrating and you've got work to actually get done and things that are important to you. One of the biggest therapy tips I ever received is you know, how can you take care of yourself? So, okay, your home isn't an environment that's good for studies. Is it possible to do your coursework from the library? 
is it possible to work from a friend's house? I've had friends who've asked me if while I'm off at the office, they could come and just use my house as their office because it's just a different environment and that's just what they need. So if you can't get out, let's say you don't have the option of another space. The library is 45 minutes away by, you know, three buses commute. And, you know, this is really the only environment you do have. You are in this kind of stuck position. Then I think time is the issue. And we've got to ask mom if there's some way we can carve out some time that are no visitors hours. And I am not actually thinking that you're probably going to be able to carve out with with mom just by the way mom has handled this so far. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to carve out whole days of time. But I do think that for your own sense of uh, security and comfort, that asking mom for a two hour, a three hour, a one hour, whatever makes sense for your family, whatever you can get her to negotiate to, block of time where we are going to tell auntie and uncle that I'm, we're, we're changing our house style a little bit and, you know, Caitlin really needs to study. And so we're going to make sure that from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., no visitors, or maybe it's 10 a.m. to, you know, 2 p.m., whatever it is, um, we're not going to be accepting any visitors so that she can really have the the space. And I'm just guessing on names and genders here. But I think that that, to me, is is an option if the space isn't the option. But I do think that mom has kind of a a little bit set her way and said that she wants her house to be one that is open to her either siblings or siblings-in-law coming over and, and spending time. And so if you can't find that time at home, really taking care of yourself by finding a space that you can go to that will work for you. I think between those two, you should be able to find something that that can help. I really like that systematic thinking, space and time. And and your work to do a little bit of – a little bit of your own – to apply your own effort to make your own space might help get a little concession on the time. Exactly. That if you show that you're making an effort, maybe you're able to get 30, 40 percent of your study time happening – at, at a library. public library, at a friend's house, that they might be more willing to support you as a student and your ask for that other time. I'd rather not call you potentially neurotic. I'd rather call you space and time. Yes. So I'm going to say space and time. We hope that this answer helps you focus on your studies moving forward. The knowledge that these difficulties are normal and usually only temporary helps to turn family friction into more constructive channels. Our next question is titled, What Do I Thank Her For? Dear Lizzie and Dan, recently my husband and I had a baby boy. Congratulations. Yay! A few weeks prior to his birth, we had a baby shower. One of my friends gave us personalized homemade thank you cards. She had each shower guest write their home address on envelopes to make it easier for us to send thank you notes. I really appreciate that. While opening the gifts, I wrote down who gave us which gifts. I've run into a little problem, though. There is an envelope from my friend's mom with her address on it. But when I look at the list I made while opening gifts, I cannot find any gift with her mother's name next to it. I'm not sure if she and her daughter went in on a gift together or if maybe she just couldn't afford a gift, which is totally fine, and came to the shower without one. In any case, I want to send her a card, but I'm not sure what exactly to thank her for on it. Our baby shower is now a couple of months old, and I don't want our friends to think that we are ungrateful. What should I do? Thanks for your help, Alicia. Ooh, 
this gets at two different things. I want to first answer Alicia's question, and then I want to expand out into showers I know and shower etiquette just a little bit here. But Alicia, I think that I would go one of two routes. Either I would write the note to the mother separately and just say thank you so much for coming. Not having been thanked for a gift that maybe is a missing gift, she might pipe up and say, did you receive this? I'm guessing showers, you open gifts in front of people. I'm guessing you know, like, it, it, I don't think this is missing behind the couch cushion somewhere is what I'm trying to say here. Something could have slipped through the cracks, but if you I were noting it, it, it probably didn't. Exactly. So my my bet is that just sending a note that says thank you for coming would absolutely suffice from a, I haven't contacted anyone to find out if you were in on a group gift type thing. I would, however, contact the daughter of of this person and I would say, you know, I just wanted to double check before I sent a note to your mom thanking her for coming to the shower. I wanted to to see if you guys had done a group gift. I didn't want to leave her out of a gift or not thank her enough if she had been included on it. And I think that that would be an easy way. I don't think you have to say, I didn't see a gift specifically for your mom. (laughs) But I think that you can, you know, allude to the idea that I just want to make sure she was in on that gift with you and that I'm thanking her appropriately. We can call it the discreet detective. Right. The discreet detective. I like that. A little soft ask to the host, to the daughter. The host would be another person you could call and ask that might not be as direct. It might not be as confrontational feeling. But. There's something really interesting about this gift. I really like this gift, and I also am a little mildly concerned about it. Yep. I think this is a great gift because these were handmade notes. Anything anything handmade, any crafter out there knows that this is, like, primo. And so I do not want to knock this person for handmade thank you notes as a good shower gift. I like the fact that the gift giver was the one to go and collect addresses from folks. But this is a practice that we actually try. It's so tough to say this because I can hear all the audience members out there saying, do you know how hard it is? And no, I don't. I don't have a child. I would like to, but I don't. So I don't know how hard it is. But I do know that for generations, people have written thank you notes while having had children. And so it is okay and it really does make people feel special when they receive that note. And we hear so much about how frustrating and annoying and unpleasant it is to be asked to write your thank you note, address your thank you note to yourself. You don't ask the person who's there as the honoree of this gathering to wrap their gifts. You don't. You don't ask them to carry them in from the car. And so you don't then in turn, when you're saying thank you for these gifts that have been given to you, say, oh, and can you self-address your envelope for me, please? I'm sorry, but it's just it is not from our etiquette perspective the right thing to do. And I'm just going to come out and say that. If I was the person giving this gift, I would, you know, I love to make cards. I would make my set of thank you cards and I would offer to collect the addresses on behalf of the person, either before the party or from the host, and address them that way so that you're not asking another guest to self-address a thank you note to themselves. And it, I know it sounds silly, right? I mean, it Cousin sounds Dan ridiculous. Here, yeah, just, like, just so you know, I wish you could see air. Dan on the other side of this microphone. It sounds silly. It sounds like, oh, gosh, they just want to make, you know, pregnant women and brides and grooms work. And we don't. It's just that it feels really awkward for the person who's about to receive that thank you note and who spent time getting you a gift 
to then be asked to address, asked it, to to address it. We've talked about the person who pipes up and says, and you don't have to send me a thank you note. And it's both a wonderful gesture and it totally negates the other people involved in the situation. We've talked about the fact that you don't do thank you so much for the and then just have a blank space that you then fill in just the one word of. We've had hosts who think that that's a good gift to give to bridesgrooms and uh, new parents to be. It's not the way you go. So my uh, this was not the question you asked, Alicia. But my thought was that if anyone listening to this hears homemade thank you cards, what a great gift, also include something that's a baby gift or a bridal gift, you know, depending on the nature of the shower, with that homemade thank you card gift. Because I think that to only give the thank you cards for this specific – it's one thing if you give thank you cards as a gift to someone for them to use freely – But to give them thank you cards that are only going to be used for this one particular shower doesn't exactly start to feel like a a gift that gets at the idea of what the shower is supposed to be about, which is getting you ready for baby. And so... Uh, Dan, you could, please come in. Stop me from talking. You've been like a mime on the other side of this microphone this whole time. Make me not sound. We can talk about my years working as a mime in a future show. But the reason you got story. <laughs> a fist pump was I really liked that idea of being willing to help out to do the work to yes. gather those addresses, yeah. but not to ask the specificity of the the advice, not to ask the person who's going to be receiving that note to actually address the envelope themselves. I think that's the the personal exchange that ends up feeling awkward and I'll even say wrong to people and we hear about that we hear about people who attend showers and are asked to participate in getting their own thank you notes to them and find it really unsettling and 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 the exact opposite of the gratitude that's meant to be expressed and shown with that gesture and shortchanged wasn't the right word for me to use there but it makes people feel like the interaction has been interrupted somehow And at the same time, there is a lot of work that goes into gathering those addresses and getting those cards out. Just writing them alone. (laughs) Your willingness to to participate in that work and do some of that work I think is a a comfortable middle ground for me where you're not actually asking the person who's receiving it to do the work, but you're helping the guest of honor get that task done. I also like the idea of not dictating that these cards go out or that they use your cards for this event. From a a stationary geek over here, I might have had a plan. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I didn't, and maybe that that assist that I'm getting from you is really what's going to help make this all happen, but but maybe not. And that that idea of making that gift a little more open-ended... I would love to receive handmade thank you cards. Yep. I think that's a beautiful gift. It is is a way to stay in safer etiquette territory. Like you, I also read this question and wanted to answer the specific, the but saw the it. larger <laughs> etiquette issue that we, we've heard a lot about. We and have. I think we it's really worth have. addressing. If you want to make life easier on a couple who is getting married or on a person or couple who are having a baby, adopting a baby... Offer to come over and help 
with those notes. Offer to to set aside some time to come and do things that would will help further these little tasks and things along. You don't have to come over and write the notes for the person, but just say, "Hey, if you want some help, I can. You know, I'll bring the list of gifts over. Um, I can help you address things, or even just think about them. I know sometimes pregnancy brain it gets in the way of getting these kind of things done, and I just want you to know I'm happy to lend a hand." And that's another just really great way for those tasks that people think it's going to really work out well to just absolve the person of. And it doesn't work out well in every situation for that to just happen. But you can offer to help with it to alleviate that, quote unquote, burden. Alicia, thank you for letting us run wild with your question just a little bit. As far as your specific question, just to touch it one more time, definitely feel free to play that discreet detective poke around as much as you can. You can ask that shower host or the daughter. You can also send that note really thanking them for attending and supporting you at this really special time. And that says a lot as well. Thank you so much for this question. Enjoy that baby boy. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Our next question is titled, Free Legal Work. Kinda. Sorta. How do you say thank you? (laughs) Hello, my close friend's son, an attorney, has offered to provide some legal work to be done on my behalf. I offered to pay him, but he said no. The legal work would probably be valued at approximately $800. Would it be rude to provide him with a gift card after he has completed the work? The city that he practices in has a coffee company that includes a retail store. He goes there frequently because he enjoys their fine coffee. This company sells gift cards. Thank you. Sincerely, Vicky. Vicky, this is not rude. In fact, it's a very nice idea. I know, right? I wish we were also fortunate as to have say, good lawyers in the family who can provide work. us with free and, and pretty expensive legal work. I think it's perfectly okay to accept this generous gesture. I think it's a really nice idea to think about a way to thank appropriately. I would definitely include a personal note of thanks. Mm-hmm. And to a gift card, I think that's that's an important way to personalize and really connect that gesture to that sense of gratitude that you clearly have. And don't underestimate the value of your warm and generous in-person thanks as well, that there is a multiplicative effect. You can do it with a gift card and a note, and you can also do it in person with that warmth of your voice the next time you see them or when they perform these services for you. And I think for this, because you really you've offered to pay him, he has said no, you really could go with any amount on this card. It's whatever you feel is right. Or if it's putting together a little basket of stuff so you can enjoy it at home as well. Either would be excellent solutions. I think that you've found something that he really likes that's convenient and easy for him to get to and experience. So it's it really is right in that zone of a simple, thoughtful, no, you're not going to give him an $800 coffee card, but it's a it's a nice gesture and, you know, do what you can afford and feel good about doing. And I love I love including the note. Vicki, thanks for the question and for that spirit of generosity and gratitude. Drinking coffee is one of life's pleasures, a pleasure that cannot be duplicated by any other beverage. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Just so you all know, etiquette is spelled E-T-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E. 
That's awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter and Facebook, just use the hashtag awesome etiquette in your post so we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today's first piece of feedback addresses practicing music in an apartment at appropriate hours. This was our violinist who wrote in. I'm a huge fan of your show and get so excited every time a new episode comes out. I'm writing to you about episode 223 in regards to the violinist who wrote in about practicing in an apartment. I'm a professional violinist myself and have some advice you can pass along to her. There are metal practice mutes you can buy that cut out 75% of the sound. She can literally practice all night with this thing on and no one will hear it. It's not great to use them all the time since you can't hear yourself that well, but once or twice a week it would be fine. Feel free to send her my contact info if she needs help finding them. I hope you both have a great holiday season, and I look forward to hearing more of your show in 2019. All the best, Laura. Laura, thank you for this feedback. It is so fun when people who know more about a topic than we do chime in and help with our answers. This is a lot. There's a lot of topics we don't know much about. Um, I also just want to say that this was one of many, many pieces of feedback that we got about the violin and what to do with it. And we definitely have a lot of musicians in our audience. And this, like, it ranked right up there with, like, the pizza toppings thing and the zipper merge um, in terms of Bridget was definitely going, man, we got a lot of people making suggestions for this little thing that helps mute it. (laughs) Like, it was really great. (laughs) So thank you for that feedback, Laura. Our next piece of feedback also addressed something in episode 223, and this was about setting up your guest room. Hi, Awesome Etiquette. I have feedback for the postscript in episode 223. I thought your advice was spot on for setting up a guest room, but I have one thing to add. You mentioned pointing out an outlet, but in preparation, I would advise making sure there is an accessible outlet. If there is not one, I think it's considerate to provide a power strip of some kind so your guests can plug in their computer, phone, etc., Thanks for reading, Libby. Libby, this is such an awesome <laughs> idea. There is nothing more frustrating than a, a, oh, the outlet a socket that's behind, that's behind the, the bed. bed. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. And I will tell you, I, I house sit for a family every single Christmas, and I did it this year as well. And this was the first year that in their guest room, they had put one of those really long charger cords attached to that particular outlet. So it was the first year I didn't have to go find an extension cord and have this like elongated, you know, mess that I was dealing with. It was amazing. I was honestly so excited about it. It was like my favorite part of Christmas. One of the most convenient things hotels do now is provide outlets everywhere. They're on the bedside tables. They're by the desk. They're in everything. It's really convenient. This is a nice thought. Thank you, Libby, for mentioning. And finally, we have a a long piece of feedback that comes um, uh, in regards to episode 214, where we had a postscript segment on talking to someone who's experiencing infertility. Jessica had written in to us, um, and we basically just read her email because it was so great. So this is in response to that. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Hello from Toronto. I fell behind on my Awesome Etiquette podcast, but have recently binge listened, and now I'm fully caught up. Now that I've had some time to put all of your awesome advice to good use, I wanted to comment on one of your more recent postscripts. Many thanks to you and listener Jessica for the postscript in episode 214 about what and what not to say to someone who is experiencing infertility. 
Since the beginning of the year, my friend, let's call her Sadie, has suffered several miscarriages. The first time she told our group of friends, I was speechless. I literally had no idea what to say to her. Mostly, I just cried with her while she told us what happened. About a week ago, Sadie found out that her sister is pregnant. While she is very excited for her and happy that she has conceived, she has a lot of mixed emotions about this because she has suffered so much loss this year. After she confided in me, I was able to put some of Jessica's sample language into practice. I told her, I'm very sorry this has happened over the past year, but you're handling it extremely well. Which she is, by the way. I didn't say it just to say it. Sadie was incredibly receptive and thanked me for my comforting words. I want to thank both of you and most of all Jessica for providing the sample scripts and the reasoning behind them. After hearing this postscript, I'd love to hear more about how to considerately and respectfully discuss another person's pregnancy with someone who is experiencing infertility. We have a big group of friends, most of whom are settling down and hoping to become pregnant within the next few years. We are all a bit apprehensive about how to delicately discuss this with Sadie because we all know what she's been through this past year. She understands that most of us want to start families, and she is genuinely happy for her friends when they announce they're pregnant. But it is very difficult for her to see her friends get what she has not been able to. Perhaps other listeners can be as generous as Jessica was with her considerate, respectful, and honest sample language. Sorry my note is so long, but I wanted to give a big thanks to Awesome Etiquette for the platform to discuss this issue, and again to Jessica for her much-needed perspective. Best, Laura. Laura, thank you for this feedback. Lizzie Post and I both really appreciated that the contribution that made that postscript possible, and it's it's good for us to hear how you connected with this thinking and this advice and your request for a furtherance of this discussion moving forward. Pregnancy is such a personal issue for people and there are so many angles to those discussions, both with the people who are experiencing it and with the people around them. And it is so personal and such strong feelings are involved. And it's such a mystery. There are bodies that have gotten pregnant that then don't get pregnant after that pregnancy. There are bodies that have, you know, people gave up complete hope on ever getting pregnant and then a beautiful, healthy pregnancy occurs. It's such a mystery. It's both a mystery and it's a world that's getting increasingly complex as there are more and more options out there for people. And it's one of those areas of etiquette that's growing, that's really changing around us right now as what's possible for families is changing. We want to thank you for encouraging us to continue with this topic. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment, question, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about travel etiquette. I was starting to think, you're going to New Orleans, I'm going to Florida, and then I got a book tour that we are eventually going to actually announce. And then I'm going to Italy and you've got other things going on this year. But it just it's going to be an interesting travel time. And I figured travel etiquette, we're in 
small spaces often with a lot of strangers and we've got hurried timelines. I mean, space and time, space and time. <laughs> it's such a broad topic that in some ways we're going to give it a broad treatment. Let's do it. I travel like can it. mean so many things. Yeah. Travel can mean a backpack and three months of unscheduled adventure. It can mean working in a family itinerary that I'm thinking Clark Griswold oh, is totally. planned down to the minute. So <laughs> What can you expect about such a broad topic? What is consistent? Whatever you're doing, wherever you're traveling, whatever means you're taking, you're going to be dealing with new situations. It's going to involve time and space, as you say, and you're going to be outside your usual routines. And anytime you find yourself in that situation of not dealing with the things that you're used to dealing with, you want to ground all your behavior in that core framework, that foundation of consideration, respect, and honesty that we talk about as our guiding principles on this show and at the Emily Post Institute. Consideration, thinking about other people, putting a framework around your decision-making that involves thinking about how what you do impacts the people around you. Respect, recognizing the worth and value of others as well as yourself and the places you're operating. And finally, that you're honest, that you're truthful, but that you're also genuine and sincere in how you interact and how you deal with people. That's I a broad think, assignment, but it's say, important. Dude, I think lots of people are very genuine and sincere when they're really angry at the airport. <laughs> but I'm not saying that that's necessary in that moment because they're ignoring the consideration and the respect as the other part of it. But they are super sincere about how mad they are. Well, so it's a great point yeah. because there is an art to good etiquette. It's not as simple as just applying this yeah. particular formula. And not only is there an art to good etiquette, but there is a reality to um, call it the butterfly effect, the ripple effect, that oftentimes we're so busy thinking about the people we're going to upset if we're late or the disappointing things or the dinner we're not going to make or the mashed potato we're going to miss out on that we're not thinking about all those people that we're in the moment with that we do want to apply good etiquette to when we're trying to get to where we're going. And it is getting frustrating. It's so easy to just dive right into that me-centric world. And it's just never going to serve you that well when you're out traveling. All of these things can take you out of the moment. They can make it harder to stay aware of others, to apply that consideration, respect, and honesty that we think of ourselves as being accountable to. I think most of us are of goodwill and think yeah. of ourselves as, as operating like that. I think the best way to combat that stress, confusion, uncertainty, and the rudeness of others is with a smile. It's with a little preparatory thought ahead of time about patience and about a willingness to stay flexible and adaptable being part of your toolbox to stay in the moment and to stay accountable to those core principles that I think we all agree are important, that preparation ahead of time is a big part of it. And even if it's an emotional or mental preparation for the uncertainty, it can also be actual preparation. The better planned you are so that you're not late, the better packed you are so that you can enjoy that camping trip, the more research you've done about the country you're visiting, you've learned the magic words in that other language, the more you're going to enjoy it. I mean, that's like the far away one. But how about just being familiar with the airport that you have to get to and where the parking or the rental car drop-off is or the the layout of the airport and what you know about the security and the gate that you're headed to if you happen to know that information. I know anytime I get booked through certain airports that there are sometimes concourse changes and things like that. There are, um, you know, checking out your bus terminal and making sure that you know it, know that you your train schedule and where to find information if trains are 
not running on time. I got to say, I mean, GPS has really changed our lives in terms of when you can follow something that shows you there's traffic somewhere. Imagine how many fights people don't get into just because it said, if you take this route, you'll get there this many minutes faster. You know what I mean? It's just unbelievable. The number of things that could get in your way to easily turn you into that stressed out person taking things out on other people. And it's it's unbelievable. That preparation ahead of time is helpful. It's also important to follow up afterwards. And it can be the moment afterwards. The thank you that you offer to someone for a little favor that they've done for you or just that thing that deserves acknowledgement goes a long, long way to paying forward good feeling wherever you are. The thank you that you send a host or someone who's made an extra effort for you from home or from some point down the road is another way to keep nurturing and fostering those good feelings around travel that I think are part of the the pleasure or the joy of that experience. Often travel is about experiencing new things, whether you're reconnecting with people that you don't get to see every day or whether you're heading off on an adventure to some place that you've never seen before to try something you've never experienced. Travel will take you out of your normal situations, and that's where we're often tested. And enjoying that challenge and that test is my challenge to all of you as you think about this coming year. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. It can come in so many forms, and I've got to make a request before we get to our etiquette salute, and that is that you send us your etiquette salutes. We had a nice little flurry just before the holidays, but I'm sure with everyone uh, cozying up to welcome in the new year that people were turning off their devices and not reaching out. We certainly hope that was the case. (laughs) And so what we really do care about hearing uh, are are the good moments that you're seeing, the good interactions that you're having with other people. They can come in so many forms, and we do ask that you share them with us. You can call them in. We love hearing your voice, your tone, your expression, your intention. Um, again, that number is 802-858-KIND, K-I-N-D. But please, please, please keep them coming. So today's comes from Victoria. Dear Lizzie and Dan, greetings! I had an experience this week that was such a good example of truly awesome etiquette that I just had to share. I was recently all set to move from Winston-Salem, North Carolina to Washington, D.C. Car packed, directions loaded. However, before I even managed to get on the highway, I was involved in a car accident. No one was hurt, but my car was too damaged to take on the highway. My salute goes out to Scott at the Modern Body Shop, who was so incredibly helpful during this tough time. He allowed me to use his office so I could file a claim with my insurance, offered to get me coffee, and even talked to me about my move and upcoming internship. He was so friendly, polite, and engaged, I felt as though he was really interested in my life and what was going on. I'm sure that for him, he deals with people coming in after a collision all the time but he still managed to treat me like a new case and not just one of many tasks to be checked off that day. And for that, I have to say thank you and offer him a salute. Kind regards, Victoria. Victoria, what an awesome salute. Isn't My it? <laughs> father has a saying, he says, no one ever plans an accident. It's, it's so simple and yet it's sort of very insightful because by definition, accidents are accidents and they can really challenge us. I'm Really happy for you that you ran into someone who made that moment and that experience not such a challenge and was helpful. Thank you for sharing this with all of us. 
and thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone, where you can leave us a voice message or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It's helpful for our rankings. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.